0: So go to Amazon on March 8th, and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late, and you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, welcome to the show, my new friend from a different continent. Different culture, definitely cut from the same cloth to serve humanity. Omu Obilo. Omu, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it is a real genuine honor. And I'm curious because I practiced a couple of times saying your last name. How did I do on saying your name for the first time out loud like that? You actually did great. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I have someone who has a last name that you don't see it anywhere else. And no one gets it right. I appreciate when someone okay. says my name. So I'm glad that we can start that way. And one of my first questions I was going to ask you today is, how common is the name Omu where you live in Nigeria? How often do you see Omu? I don't know any Omus until today. Actually, it's not common. So when I meet people who are not Nigerians,
1: struggle with identifying it, I laugh and I say to them, it's not because you're not Nigerians, because even in Nigeria, I have people say, where, what part of Nigeria are you from? Is that Nigerian? So it happens to be one of those names that, very traditional names that belong to a particular culture. It actually means Queen Mother. So it's a title, and it's for a
0: particular part of Nigeria. So it really isn't very common. Wow. Oba, we have so much we can talk about today. But if we want to get started here, I'd love to start off with what are a couple of things that our audience might need to know about you to kick off our conversation. I'd love to give you the first word and introduce yourself. The good ones. Yeah. The good ones or the not so good ones. Hey, we're, <laughs> we're open to anything on the Eternal Optimist <laughs> podcast because we're going to frame it in a positive way. So love, love to hear just your take <laughs> just a few no. things about
1: you. Love to hear it. They're all positive. OK, so I'm a daughter. I'm a last of five children. I'm a mother, mother of one handsome young man. I'm a wife. I'm an engineer by study and then I'm a speaker trader and a coach. I love traveling, I'm an introvert and I'm very shy.
0: For those of us who are watching this on YouTube, I would not have guessed that because you have the loudest, brightest chair I have ever seen and I love it. (laughs) It radiates a positive, bright energy. So I love it. There's a story There's a story to the chair. <laughs> tell us about this chair, because you've got to go check this out on YouTube if you're listening on the podcast. you got to check it out, because this, this is a phenomenal chair. This lights up the room the instant you see it. So tell us, what's the origin story of this chair? So I'd
1: always had a regular office swivel chair. During the lockdown, obviously everyone was constantly on Zoom, and I developed this lower back ache. And I was asked to change my chair. At the time, obviously, everyone was dealing with mood swings and the whole thing going on over the world. And I asked some young lady to make a chair for me. And she said, choose. And I said, OK, I want something that looks like a throne. Now, my favorite color is black. So I certainly would have gone for black. But when she sent me pictures, I saw a yellow chair. And I was like, OK, I need to do something different During lockdown, I did a lot of things I normally wouldn't do. So I said, "Okay, I was going to do something different, and I needed to add something bright, some color to my life to cheer me up. And she came up with this yellow chair that I call my throne,
0: and the rest is history. And I'm loving it. It is amazing. It's the throne for the Queen Mother, and I love it. And I want to tell you right now that I am going to go out and get myself a brighter chair Seriously, I'm going to get a brighter chair because I love the way it just lights up the room. So again, check it out on YouTube. This chair is amazing. I'm going to go off script here because you mentioned something that makes me really curious because you're one of the first people I've ever met from Nigeria and I've never asked anyone from Nigeria. What was your experience like when the lockdown happened for COVID three years ago, from a Nigerian perspective, Omu, what happened over there from your angle? Okay, so, you know, we were really
1: blessed in Nigeria. It didn't hit us as much as it hit a lot of other parts of the world. We lost people, but compared to the numbers we're hearing in other parts of the world, there was nothing that bad in Nigeria. In fact, a lot of people believed there was no such thing as COVID. I caught it at some point, And for a lot of people who had caught it, I remember my friend saying to me, oh, it's just like malaria. Malaria is a common illness in Nigeria because of the mosquitoes, the Anopheles mosquito. But for some reason, I haven't had malaria in maybe 30 years or 40 years. I've just never had malaria. So when I had COVID and my friends kept saying, oh, it's just treated like malaria. I'm like, I don't know what malaria feels like, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So for a lot of people who were extremely, extremely blessed in Nigeria, extremely blessed. So a lot of us just suffered from the lockdown, the no movement, Obviously, the ripple effect from what was going on in the outside world just sort of crippled us, but we were
0: extremely lucky. Well, did the government intervene and say everyone has to stay home or anything like that?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We were totally shut down. The social distancing stuff and everything, we did all that, yeah.
0: Well, for two introverts, because I'm really introverted as well, for a couple of introverts, there's a bright side to it. Uh, There's a downside to it. Being at home and being home with family or being home alone, that actually sounded pretty nice to me. And then when we have to do it, it changed a little bit. It's interesting how when we get to do it versus we have to do it. As an eternal optimist, I saw the bright side of it, and I think it really enhanced our family unit. How did your family unit do in that challenging time? They did very well, and
1: I actually absolutely loved the lockdown. I say that, I mean, I lost people. God bless their souls. I didn't love that aspect. But then I absolutely loved the lockdown. And it's funny because when they started contemplating movement and lifting the bands, I actually woke up with a panic attack one day. I wasn't ready to go into the society. I was
0: enjoying my time on Zoom. (laughs) I I can relate because I've been working like this remotely for 10 years. So I certainly, it wasn't the biggest shift for me. It was a big shift for my wife. Yeah. And for our employees, I had a full-time nanny that couldn't come here anymore. So that was challenging. But ultimately, it was something that we use parts of it to connect deeper as a family. I'm wondering if we can go to challenges here challenges so i love to ask guests i love to ask you right now omu if there's a challenge in your life and you can go back to when you were very young you can go back as early as like you can go back yesterday if you want to anywhere in your world where you have experienced something that you would call a real challenge i'd love to hear about that challenge how you experienced it and how you overcame overcoming it please how many do you want to hear? Let's start with the first <laughs> one that comes to mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so
1: several come to mind, but you know how you have different challenges and you find out that some they're connected and sometimes rooted in one thing. One of the challenges I have that I think spiraled into different other things was pleasing people. So you know how you grow up and your parents, out of the goodness of their hearts, bless them, wanting to instill certain values in you and your brain registers it differently. So growing up, my parents always said, oh, you have to be humble. You have to give to the less privileged. If you have to, you have to share Thinking back now, I totally understand where they were coming from and I can appreciate. Prior to when I went on the self-awareness journey, my brain registered it as give, 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 even if it meant to your own detriment, just give. So I grew up feeling like it was important that everyone around me was happy and satisfied, even if it meant me being unhappy. mm I relate to that. So I always felt a need to sacrifice. First of all, letting in the wrong people into your life, which adversely affects you. And then ultimately, you're not satisfied because you're not living your best life. You're practically living for people. That's what I think is the major, major thing, because it also played out in different aspects of my life. I ended up not doing things I wanted to do at the time. I wanted to do it because I wanted to make sure everyone around was happy. And obviously there's no way everyone is going to be happy. And then made everyone happy, you're
0: still not happy. So you're just not leaving. There are some people that I know really well. This is something I see in them and in the families they're in, is that if they pour everything that they have into everyone else around them and not anything into themselves then what might happen? Well, you do that for a number of years, a lifetime, and you come back later. And maybe those things that were meant to give you joy, they become empty. And that's a very challenging place to be. I know some very good friends that have that, and I appreciate you sharing that. When did your self-awareness journey begin where you caught yourself feeling this way or thinking this way? When did that start to happen, Omu?
1: Okay, so I would say, honestly, my self-awareness journey started in 2011 when I joined the John Maxwell team as a founding member. I would not say the transformation started then. So they're two different things. The journey started. You know how you move from unconscious incompetence. So I was at the unconscious incompetent phase. I didn't know that I didn't know. Mm, Yes. Stage one. (laughs) Stage one.
0: And then I joined the John Maxwell team. So now I knew. Why did you choose the John Maxwell team? What is it that inspired you to take that first step to join that team? Prior to joining the John Maxwell team, I'd worked in a multinational oil company.
1: And then I had gone into event planning because I liked traveling and I liked planning events outside the country so that I'm killing two birds with one stone. I'd always been into personal development. I didn't call it personal development at the time, but I had always just liked to listen to. So then I was totally in love with Les Brown. And, you know, in those days, we had the videotapes and then the CDs. So I had loads and loads of Les Brown CDs. And then I had read one or two of John Maxwell's book. When the opportunity came on, to be quite honest, I had no intentions of being a speaker, trainer, or a coach. I had no intentions. I just joined because I wanted to develop myself.
0: Okay. Okay. So step one in the self-awareness journey, join the John Maxwell team, 2011, still unconscious incompetence. I know that area well. (laughs) Still, Still, you know, and I
1: think also, you know, sometimes thinking back, if I'm able to assess the way that I went. At that point, I was just trusting the process blindly, to be quite honest. What played out and is serving me now was I was like a sponge and I was just absorbing as much information and training as much as I could. Now, remember, there was no Zoom at the time. So we used to use the free conference call. There was no Wi-Fi. There was the internet that you had to plug into the phone, the dial in You really needed to be committed to get on it. And I did that. I started having awareness. Implementing it was a struggle. I wasn't implementing, but at least I knew I could tell. I was more concerned about nurturing and
0: growing my event planning business. So you move forward into the leadership team. You're coaching others. What part of coaching did you find to be the most impactful for you and for others there in that early stage when you were getting started? In between, simply because, like I said, I'm an introvert
1: and I'm shy. But then I knew that I needed people. I knew that I needed referrals somehow. And I wasn't even being invited to events because nobody was expecting me to attend. (laughs) So... So when BNI came to Nigeria, I joined BNI. And in my head, BNI was just simply to attend the meetings, get the referrals, no need to have friends and no need to get out there. I didn't know that I had to stand up every week to present my business in front of people. If I had known, I'm sure I wouldn't have joined so I did, and that actually helped me with public speaking, with getting over the shyness and being able to present. It built my confidence in that area. Then I became the education coordinator. So that actually kind of helped my training, and I actually owe that part of my
0: success to BNI. Wow. Well, this must have been like a really big turning point in your life when being shy and introverted. And now you've joined BNI and you've got to get up there and you've got to talk every single Absolutely. week. Absolutely. Yes. What was Absolutely. it like for you that first time getting up there and sharing yourself, your business? Just what was that experience like that first oh time? My, oh my goodness. I wish, I
1: wish it was recorded <laughs> because it would have been a powerful training too I started for weeks. And my legs would be wobbling. You know,
0: I couldn't string a sentence without stuttering. <laughs> I'm glad we can smile about it now because you've made it past that, but that must have been, I can only imagine, very challenging because I'm also introverted and I can imagine that first time doing that. So if you fast forward, we started doing B and I when it came to Nigeria, you started to speak in front of others and your knees were wobbly and you were nervous and stuttering the first few times. When did it sink in and this became something that you enjoyed doing or that you became really good at doing? I
1: would say
0: about six years ago when I became a director. And then
1: after that, I became the national trainer. Thankfully, I'm also a recovering perfectionist. So irrespective of whether I'm shy or not,
0: if I take on a responsibility, I must make sure that I do it well. Awesome. By the way, I absolutely love what you just said. It's part of my, whenever I get up to do like a BNI type presentation, the first thing I say is I coach recovering perfectionists and highly functioning workaholics. <laughs> so I love that you said recovering perfectionists. You just hit the nail on the head for me right there. Excited about this. So at 2017, you've overcome, or at least are dealing with this introversion and now in a public speaking place, and you've become the national trainer. And you're really good at it now. And it took that period of time. And I really want to highlight that to the audience. That wasn't like I showed up three times and now I'm the best speaker in the world. That was like a five, six-year journey to get to a place where you were praised for it and you became really good at it. So just kudos to you for hanging in there and doing it. What happened from there? To, I guess the last six years now on your journey of coaching and speaking and leading people. Okay, so BNI was a fantastic
1: launchpad for me, and I started at the time with my event planning business. As I got older, I also felt that I wasn't getting joy planning weddings and. I also felt that I'd gotten to a point where a 21, 22-year-old bride doesn't want her mother's age to plan her wedding. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would want a young person who understands. I mean, I can imagine planning a 21-year-old's wedding and they say to me they want a night party and they want drinks and they want to drive from one end to the other at 3 a.m. I'll probably find myself saying to her, oh, is it safe? I don't think you should. I think the alcohol is too much
0: 3 i I seen 3 AM in years <laughs> you know,
1: and, and I turn into mother mode I like to be as authentic as possible and practice what I preach my 21 year old self would not want me to plan her wedding so I wasn't going to do that but I love traveling and I love planning events and I love discovering places so I decided to
0: plan retreats mm. Mm-hmm. So I plan transformational retreats. Wow. So the transformation retreats that you started to plan, did that begin in 2017? No, that actually started in 2019.
1: Then the lockdown, the lockdown oh, messed it yeah. up. But then I would say the lockdown messed it up because what happened was during the lockdown, if you notice, there were a lot of online summits. Like now, virtual summits have come to stay. And... Some tourism boards and some tour operators actually did online tours and online experiences. So I took advantage of that. And as soon as the lockdown ended, I started working on my transformational retreats.
0: What was your first transformational retreat? What was that experience like for you? For me... I'm glad I did it when I did it because I
1: had gone through the motion and I've learned. So, like I said, I was a recovering perfectionist. So I knew that if I wanted 20 people, I didn't necessarily have to have 20 people to get it done. And I was going to celebrate myself any which way. The first one did not have that many people as much as I expected, but I was very glad that I broke the ice. And so what I had gone on to do was, when I was planning events, I met a lot of people who wanted to come to Africa. And at the time I was selling the Caribbean and Mexico and, and Europe. This time I decided I was going to now sell Africa. So what I did was I started looking out for locations, partnering with them and preparing packages. And then this year, we've come up with the different packages.
0: Fantastic. Well, please continue to share. I'm curious because I've not ever been to Africa, and I love transformational events. So help me understand. Tell me about Africa. I have an amazing one
1: that is a 10-day one in Kenya coming up in October. I have another one in Ghana that is in August. That's five days.
0: And then I have just the weekend ones in Nigeria at the moment. So weekend in Nigeria, you've got a five day event in August in Ghana and a ten day event in Kenya in October. And when I think of the word transformation, I think of something it's different. It's a pattern interrupt. It's something that changes your lens. And as someone who I've traveled all across the United States and some in Europe and Asia. I've never been to Africa. It sounds like this is an event that could be really genuinely transformational in every way. So I love the sound of what you're sharing. So what might happen if you can give some of the details of a transformational event? What does that mean to you, transformational event? Okay, so what we do
1: is we make it as authentic as possible. So it's not like going to a city. You actually experience the culture. You experience the native people, see how they live, and what they're doing and of course like in kenya you have the safaris so you go to see the animals and it's a whole total experience of course there are like one or two evenings where we do like feedback about how you honestly feel before then we want to know what you're expecting to get out and there's also an opportunity to have a one-to-one with me
0: oh fantastic I love the whole immersion experience idea. It sounds amazing. You said the word recovering perfectionist a couple times. I'm one as well. So it's like, if you are one, you can talk about it. So I'd love to talk about, first of all, what does recovering perfectionist, what does that even mean to you, Omo? Okay. So it took me a long while to accept that I was a
1: perfectionist and that was my problem for the longest time. Coincidentally, I didn't see myself as a perfectionist. I saw myself as just not getting anything right. And for everything I wanted, for everything I wanted to do, it took me longer because I was trying to get it right. And sometimes I ended up not doing it. Because I'll say to you, if it's not going to be done properly, then don't do it. And I'm my greatest critic, and I like to have conversations with myself. So when I look at people doing the same thing. That I'm doing or something I'm thinking of doing I find myself saying oh wow she's successful in this and then I start to look out for pick out mistakes and all that I'm saying to myself but you could have done this better and I'm like no but how can you get on and do this and I'm there criticizing and one day I remembered when I was working I had a boss there's a ritual that some part of Nigeria does where they wake up in the morning and they break a kola note and say a prayer. And I had this boss who was very close to me. And when he comes to work in the morning, he peeps into my office and says, Mrs. Obilo, come to my office. And I come to his office and he breaks a kola note and he says a prayer. But one day he said, May our lives not be like a signpost, showing people direction and standing in one spot. Huh. And what impact did that have on you, Omu? Just that? So I remembered that one of the days I was going on and on criticizing, and I said, wait a minute, you know, you're constantly criticizing, showing people how they need to do it, that they haven't done it. And you're right there standing and you're not doing anything.
0: Hmm. <laughs> Okay.
1: Yes, the moment of clarity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what happened next? And of course, I've been blessed to um, at the feet of different great men. You know how you hear things and you don't immediately act on it. And when you need it, the words just keep coming in. And I heard different things Paul Martinelli had said about limiting beliefs. I heard different things Ivan, John Maxwell, different people had said about limiting beliefs. And at that point, I started, you know, digging in and doing the work. And remember, I'm a transformational coach. So I always like to take people on a journey, on a path that I have been through. So when I started digging in, I I started taking steps. So I knew I
0: had to practice what I preach. Love it. Yes. How did you start to practice this new thought pattern where you might not have been as critical of self and...
1: I think I'm still critical of self. But one thing that I keep saying to myself is it's okay to fail. The way that I handled what I called failure changed. I never saw failure as the end of it. I saw it as, you know, like you're climbing a ladder, like you're climbing a ladder and you're in the middle and you want to take a a step and you miss it. If you're climbing a ladder, you go one foot and then one foot if you're climbing a ladder and if i take one foot up and i miss it i would come down and try the other foot Mm. i don't go
0: all the way down (sighs) what a great analogy so that's the way that i handle it yeah you take the step up and you miss the step but you still have the one foot here and you can try it again with the other foot what a beautiful analogy What's an example of that in play when you catch yourself maybe being overly critical or you misstep and you, in the the moment, it might be a temporary failure or, or you might have a setback. What's an example of how you might catch yourself doing that and how mentally you work through that for yourself, Omo? Well, I've learned to laugh at myself.
1: I don't take life. I don't take life too seriously. So in the past, I'll sit down and beat myself up, and I've learned to laugh at my mistakes. So I actually sit down and I'm like, "Oh, okay, it didn't work out. What went wrong,
0: or how else could I have done it?" Absolutely, love it. It, it reminds me of a mistake I made yesterday. As we're going to pick <laughs> up the kids at school, I realize that the app that has the bus on it, the app was still at school. And I assumed that because the app is at school and everything is late, that the kids are still there because the bus has been late for the last couple of days. So I hop in the car to go get them. And as it turns out, the kids are already at home. So I made a mistake. I went and left to go get them because they weren't here yet. And turns out they were already at home. They just came home early. They went in the other room. And I didn't know that because I was on the Zoom. (laughs) So I went to go get them and then I left him. I left all my kids here at home alone. And when I realized this instantly, the, all the critic, the, it came in and it was like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? And the harsh self-judgment came in. And for you, it's a ladder. For me, the way I think of it, I have a mental tripwire and the tripwire became, what's the teaching moment here, Matt? How might you use this to your advantage to learn something? And I learned, check the house before you go. Number one. That's the real world strategy. And then the mental place is they're going to be okay. Everything's okay. And I learned something from it. I appreciate your analogy of the to our audience, to imagine this analogy that when we might make, you might call it a mistake or fall down, it's simply one foot missing the rung. And we've got another chance to do it this time with the other foot. I think it's brilliant. So, Omu, you've shared with us your transformational opportunities with a trip you've you've shared with us some dates and some of the experience that might happen in the immersion of your experience so how might we connect with you and find out more about you okay
1: so i'm everywhere really i'm
0: on instagram as
1: thrive with omu i am on tiktok as thrive with omu i have my website thrivewithomu.com I'm on Facebook as Omu Obilo, and I have a Facebook page, which is Thrive with Omu. And I'm on LinkedIn as Omu Obilo. Excellent. And YouTube as Thrive with Omu. By the way, the YouTube was a major challenge for me. Why is that? What happened with
0: YouTube?
1: I'd had my YouTube channel about 10 years or more, as soon as YouTube came out. And at the time I was planning events, I had this fantastic idea for my YouTube channel. And same perfectionists, I was waiting for perfect lighting, perfect clothes, perfect hair, perfect size, perfect, perfect everything. And it just wasn't
0: happening. (laughs) So... What has happened with your YouTube channel over the past 10 years? Did it just sit there and not get used? Or is it... It just sat there and then once in a while I'd upload videos without me. Yes. I'm connecting with you (laughs) so deeply on this story because it just so happens that this morning, I do a live stream every day and I was reading in the live stream my journal from 2016, December, about my goals for 2017. One of them, Start my podcast. And that was in 2017. I didn't start it until 2022, like five and a half years later is when I started it. Write my first book. Wow. 2017. The first book finally, finally comes out this year in December. So thank you. It took like five and a half, six and a half years to get those things done. So for anyone out there, listen, you are hearing two recovering perfectionists sharing that we have mm-hmm. had these ideas of books and podcast and a YouTube channel that then may or may not have gotten attention because we want to be perfect. That's a real-life example from two introverted recovering perfectionists. If we can do it, you guys and girls can all do it too. Omu, when I say eternal optimist, what is eternal optimist or eternal optimism? What does that mean for you when you hear those words? So my outlook to life has changed a great deal. And like I say, I
1: like to practice what I preach. And I like when I'm coaching and speaking to people, I like to coach from a point of knowledge, not that I read it, but I've tried it and I trust it. So it goes with being grateful, gratitude, and seeing the good side of everything. It's funny you ask, because in the past, I was one of those people who prepared for the worst. I go out and if I'm coming to ask you something and I'll say, okay, Max is going to say no. And if he says no, I'll never think Matt is going to say yes. When now I actually am an eternal, I actually don't think anyone would not agree with me or anything is going to go bad. Sometimes I pinch myself and I'm like, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, so... I am what you'd call an eternal optimist. I only see the good side. And that is not to say sometimes you don't have those feelings of what makes you think you're sure. Why do you think you won't end up? But I immediately nip it in the board. I don't feed that thought.
0: Mm, Thank you. So Mm.
1: what it means to me is looking at the good side, expecting the best
0: all the time. Excellent. Well, Omu, if there is a song or a favorite movie that has been inspirational for you, what might something be like that that gives you energy and lifts you up? So it depends. There's Louis Armstrong's
1: song, What a Wonderful World. And then there's Kid Perry,
0: Roy. Ah. Yes. Excellent. My daughters love that song, by Katy Perry. I play that one all the time. It's on one of our playlists on Spotify. Yes. And that Louis Armstrong song. I remember hearing that for the first time watching a James Bond movie like uh, so many years ago and love. And that man's voice, amazing. Yes. Yeah. Even way back in Casablanca yes. when he was playing the piano there. I mean, his mm-hmm. his voice just always has been so amazing. Amazing. Excellent. Excellent. Well, if there are one or two books that have been helpful or impactful in your life? What might one or two books be that have inspired and impacted your life? It would be Who is in Your Room by Dr. Ivan Meisner.
1: I don't know that one yet. You know, It's usually always on my desk. And it's such a small book you can read in a day, but it is t- totally, totally transformational. And I'm trying to decide between 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth and Think
0: and Grow Rich. Mm. So I think that Think and Grow Rich, I believe that's one that many of our audience have heard of and read. So love love that one from Napoleon Hill. How about the other one? Can you share a little bit about the 15 laws? Oh, the 15 Invaluable Laws of
1: Growth is by John Maxwell. And that's actually one of the books that I used in starting
0: my self-awareness journey. Mm. Well, where are you now? We started with very shy and introverted and perfectionist. And we started back, we didn't want to speak in front of people. And then we joined BNI in 2011. And then we transformed into the national director. And then we transformed into running your own experience. So where are you now on that journey, Omu? I'm living my best
1: life. That's what I'm doing now. And I serve people in a way that can achieve living their best lives as well. Now, that is not to say that I don't have challenges. I've just learned to overcome them. So like I said, I went on a self-awareness journey. So I've, I've learned what my shortcomings are and who I am. I've accepted the things I want to accept and I'm trying to change the things that I can change. And that's me being my
0: authentic self. Amazing. Well, Omu, i love to wrap things up. I believe you might have an offer for our listeners or something that they can connect with. What might our offer for the listeners be today? Okay. So, you know, I mentioned three books that are my favorite books.
1: Lately, I have worked with Think and Grow Rich. I've read it severally, and I made a workbook out of it that is totally magical. Wow. And it's very easy. When they download it, you might see 30 pages, but trust me, some of the pages are just for you to fill in and their questions. So it's not like 30 pages you have to read. It's a workbook. So they can go and download it for free.
0: Download it for free. A workbook out of Think and Grow Rich with questions and working on yourself. I think you're hitting the sweet spot of our audience here. So where would we go? Is this at the thrivewithomu.com website? Is that where we find this? Yes, is at the thrivewithomu.com
1: website. I would also send you the link. I'll send
0: you the link when we're done, yeah. Thrivewithomu.com, the website, and also you'll find the link in the show notes, audience members. So Omu, thank you for lighting up our lives today. It started with the chair. We didn't even get to your coffee cup that you've been showing. That it's bright and yellow and a big red. What can you show that just for the YouTube audience? That, that coffee mug is amazing. First of all, what's in it and what is that? It's coffee. Okay. <laughs> That's a ladybird. It's amazing. It definitely all fits the brand and the image. Just there is a radiance here. So, oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.